Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. Hi, my name is Michael Ramsden, President of RZIM. We are living in difficult and challenging times, and we've all felt the impact of COVID-19 in one way or another. Our prayers are with you, and we'd like to thank you also for praying for us. In the last few weeks, I've been reflecting on a few famous words in Romans 8, where it says, What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? What is amazing to me is the first few words in that sentence, the first two as a matter of fact, refer to the idea of living with constraint or of being hemmed in to be in a narrow place. Two words which seem to sum up so much of the global challenge we see right now. And wherever you are, whether you're with family or whether you're going and facing this challenge alone, please know our prayers and thoughts are with you. We'd also like to thank all of you who have been praying for us, because during this time we have seen a fresh openness to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would like to thank for all of you who've been standing with us in prayer and in financial support to help us take that message to where it needs to go. We know that so many of us are hurting right now as we deal with the economic challenges, but please know that we are very grateful and feel very blessed to have been given the privilege and trust by you to take a message to those who most need to hear it. Thank you for standing with us. When you jettison God, you have to replace him with somebody. And there's no other candidates but us. An interesting comment from Abdu Murray. Welcome back to Just Thinking. You'll hear more from Abdu in just a bit, but know that our goal here at RZIM is to provide thoughtful answers to your questions, no matter how difficult they may seem. And today, we're continuing a Q&A series from the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Conference. And we'll hear several questions with answers from RZIM speakers, Abdu and Brandon Cleaver, as well as Pastor Chris Brooks. Let's join them now as we hear the first question. My name's Stefan. Is the Book of Mormon credible and should it be considered the Word of God? Um, the short answer is no. And the reason is not in, a, in an insulting way. The reason I'm, I say that is because when you look at the actual Book of Mormon and you see the, the way in which it was um, sort of... Uh, uh, the history of it. So Joseph Smith talks about he has the, uh, the Book of Mormon, the Pilgrim Price, and all these things, where he actually translated them from these ancient Egyptian documents. And when you end up seeing what they actually were, they weren't these documents that had to do with these heavenly tablets that had to do with the Book of Mormon and all this wonderful uh, uh, celestial issues. It was a burial book. It was the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So he got it wrong. Um, he just guessed and didn't really translate it that way. Uh, moreover, it actually speaks directly against some of the important things in the Bible itself. So when we talk about what the scriptures teach, where Paul says that it is not by works that we're saved, but by, by faith alone, in Christ alone, and his work alone that we're saved, the Book of Mormon says an exactly opposite message where it says that we're saved after all we can do. Um, where it's basically saying you can do good things and merit this. Plus, the teachings in Mormonism teach that as God is now, we eventually will be. We will be gods ourselves. And that 
Um, God was once a man like us and arose to a godhood status. So there's all kinds of issues and problems. The reason why someone might say, well, wait a minute, all that is is a competing world claim. They're claiming this, you're claiming that. Just because they disagree with you doesn't mean it's not credible. Ah, here's the problem, is that the Book of Mormon claims to be another testament of Jesus Christ. So it would have to be consistent with the original Testament. So the Book of Mormon would have to say things consistent with the New Testament. But it doesn't say things consistent with the New Testament. So by its own admission, it's saying the Bible is the authority. So if it contradicts the authority, it's contradicting that which it subjects itself to. Do you see the difference there? And if, it's, if it says X and the Bible says not X, then X is just wrong. If this one says X is that the Bible is right. See the problem? So I think for those reasons, among many other reasons, if you guys have anything else to add in, the Book of Mormon, I don't think, has that trustworthiness and credibility. Plus, you know what's interesting is that when you look at the way Mormons will tell you, if they come to your house and they knock on your door, by the way, when they come to the house, invite them in. They're used to having the doors closed on them. Surprise the heck out of them by saying, want some coffee and tea? I got some stuff for you. And then engage in the conversation. Um, one of the tests they will say for the truth of the Book of Mormon is that pray about it, ask God to reveal it, and if you feel the warmth in your bosom, you, know, you, will, you will know the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. Well, that's an entirely subjective claim. How about let's look into the archeology. span Let's look into the history of it and see if it's really the word of God or not. That's a better claim. So the, the sort of weakness and subjectivity of the claim kind of implies that the evidence isn't so great either. Yeah, I would just simply add, Stefan, to your, um, to Abdu's statement, we have to understand that most other quote unquote holy books are personal private encounters that individuals are having with divine figures or angels or beings. And we should be skeptical of that. That again, in and of itself, doesn't mean that something is or is not credible, but it is a distinguishing factor for what we have in the Bible. Again, as Abdu has said, three different languages, over 40 authors, over 1,500 years, one harmonious message pointing to the cross of Christ. We should revel in that. Uh, the other part of it is, as we talked about yesterday, the footnoted sections of scripture. That is valuable. What that speaks of is a culture that invites investigation and that stands on transparency that shows up even in our text. Um, books that don't invite that, we should be skeptical of as well. So uh, remember that the Bible stands uh, as unique, not only in its content, but in the culture of investigation and transparency that it uh, invites. Thank you. Um, in reviewing all of the wonderful information from yesterday, I have this question that is just a sticking point, and I was hoping you could help me with it. Um, succinctly, the question is, could this be a second babble, not of language, but of our spirits? This idea that we are thinking that we're gods, that we're able to be the creators instead of the created. Um, anybody else can free, feel free to join in, but uh, I think you're right. Yuval Harari, his book Sapiens, yes, talks about this, but he's got a, a sequel to it called Homo Deus, mm. Man God, Man Who Becomes God. But he's okay with this, mm. um, that we are on the verge of becoming gods ourselves. And, and basically, when you jettison God, you have to replace him with somebody. And there's no other candidates but us. Have you noticed how terrible we are at it? Um, we're terrible at this. 
But I think this is part of what's going on, is this, this impulse. And again, this goes back to the very first people. Adam and Eve didn't want to be with God. They wanted to be God. And that is inherently the original sin. So before we look and say, those people do this, remember, we have to look inside the human heart and ask ourselves, how often do I do this? How often am I trying to be the God of God? Even when you're a believer, there's times when you slip into it. Think I can control the situation, I'm gonna control the outcome, they got saved because of me, whatever it might be. We do this all the time. But I think that that's right. I think that the, the new method though of our sort of self-aggrandizement, culturally speaking as humanity, is not our building of brick and mortar towers that lead to the skies. Uh, you could just say, you know, the Tower of Google instead of the Tower of Babel as it were. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was an article that said Google is God. And it said, here's how we know. Because God is omnipresent, all-knowing, uh, and ever available. Sounds like Google. You can ask any, Google any question and get an answer. The problem is God is also always right. Um, <laughs> Uh, and Google isn't um, uh, and that kind of thing but this is the point of the culture the culture is saying that we can find all the answers we need to look up the searches the most common searches on Google aren't you know how do I tie a tie or a bow tie it's is there meaning in life how to kill myself these kinds of questions so our tower is rising but God isn't causing it to crumble we are <laughs> go ahead you had a follow up I, I just the big question really is, did, is this God's intercession to split the world in confusion to his purpose? Is, is this something that God is doing, even with the talk earlier today um, about how there is this unity of bitterness that doesn't really have a central um, focal point? Like, how did it come about? Yeah. Does that tie... No, but no, no, just uh, venturing a guess is that I do think there's a spiritual element to this. And, and Chris, you mentioned this the other day, that God does say in, the, in, in Romans, he says that he gives them over to a reprobate mind. Yeah. I think the best way for us to see this is that this is the outcome of man living apart from God. Mm -hmm. And it's just as God said it would be. The story of the Tower of Babel is the story of the pride of man, which leads ultimately to confusion, right? And this is what happens. Whenever man tries to live and make sense of the world apart from God, it will lead to confusion, whether it's in their day or in our day. And so we should see it as the world playing out just as scripture, just as God says it would whenever man lives apart from him. But it's in Christ where the confusion becomes clarity. And so I would see it as uh, the world playing out just as Christ said it would, but we have the solution for the confusion. And that's ultimately what we want to get to. We won't always understand the source of causation. We won't, you know. Sometimes I'm going through a storm and I don't know if it's Satan tempting me, God testing me, or just the way life goes. I don't know all of that, but I do know my response dictated by scripture is to be faithful to him, to worship him and him alone. And so we leave the causation and all of those things to God. We are responsible for the response. And in a world of confusion, our response is to speak clarity. I just, I just wanted to commend you on what I think is a very astute observation. You know, Abdu and Pastor Brooks just elaborated on it, but again, oftentimes when we're reading scripture, and particularly in the Old Testament, we read it as these tales and stories that happened back then, but God knew 
why he gave that particular lesson or story to them. But there's also always this timeless element that we can always pull out of it and, and um, um, incorporate yeah. into our lives and into our time. Yeah. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, that can be hard to do. Abu talked earlier about the uh, about Leviticus and some of the challenges of reading through that that Ravi expounded on. Pastor Brooks just talked about the relevancy of the Tower of Babel to now. So I think what you, the question that you just asked is a great lesson for everybody in here, including myself, to remember that when we're reading the Old Testament and the New Testament, that not only are we to, to try and read it and understand it from the cultural context with which it was given, but also what message is God trying to send me in our uh, current context through this story? So thanks a lot for asking that. You can listen to this episode of Just Thinking Again by visiting our website at rzim.org and clicking on the Listen tab. And if you're listening in Canada, that web address is rzim.ca. While you're there, be sure to check out other audio content like Abdu Murray's podcast, The Defense Rests. And you can also purchase this Q&A series by calling us at one 800 448-6766 and asking for the Understanding and Answering Post-Truth Culture Q&A. It's because of your prayers, support, and encouragement that enable us to help the thinker believe and the believer think. To learn more about RZIM or how you can partner with us, be sure to call us or visit our website. You've been listening to Just Thinking, a listener-supported radio ministry that is furnished by RZIM in Atlanta, Georgia.